0: Wall Street is full of corruption, and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over 100 years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbay. All right, everybody, I'm performing in front of an audience of one, and you are the most important one that I'm going to be talking to. I'm doing this for me, so if no one shows up, I'm okay with it. Tonight, I'm going to talk about American exceptionalism, I'm going to talk about it from a different perspective. I'm going to talk about a perspective that you and I share in, and it's been eating me alive, eating me to the marrow of my bones all day long. It's been going on for a long time, but tonight in particular, it really, really finally grabbed hold of me. The idea that Americans are exceptional is baked into literally Everything that we do, everything that we do, imagine the most uneducated, filthy, hateful bigot that you've ever seen in your life, and they fancy themselves better than Muhammad the doctor, who is an immigrant coming to this nation. They fancy themselves better than, and they despise everyone, right? It's all baked into everything that we do, including our colleges. And it was just eating me alive because I watch people that are supposed to be revolutionaries, people who are supposed to be leftists, investing in their kids, investing in their nieces and nephews, investing in all these people to develop them into wonderful capitalists to put them in the universities teaching them lessons that only will further the capitalism they're trying to tear down or trying to alter or trying to mitigate. And it's a catch-22, and I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to process it. But there's this thing where we talk about how much we hate the machine and we hand-wave at the mystical system. This system, it's, it's like when I hear that, my eyes glaze over because I'm a systems guy. And most people when I talk about systems and I talk about inputs and I talk about outputs and I talk about the tools and the techniques to operate them, everybody's eyes glaze over. But yet everybody's dead set determined they're going to tear down the system. It's they're going to tear down the system. And and what are they going to build back? What are they going to create? Okay? It's just a matter a lot of hand waving, a lot of just empty rhetoric based on elevating self and based on making themselves feel like they're exceptional. And, you know, I think to myself, we're teaching our kids, we're trying to give them a leg up. A leg up to who? Seriously, think about it. A leg up to a poor black or brown person in the inner city generational poverty that has never been to school. And finally, because... Somehow or another, they get to school. Now, all of a sudden, you're giving your kid a leg up on them. I'm not saying that we should not take care of our children. I'm not saying that education is bad. I'm not saying that any of this is wrong, right? What I am saying is is that everything we do is about competition. I mean, there was a video, and I was laughing. I was laughing straight up, no joke. I was laughing as I watched this video of what amounted to be a four-year-old little kid slam dunking a nerf basketball into his one and a half year old brother and when he went to slam it he like bellied he like bodied the kid like crushed the ball down on him And he's like four years old 18 months old you're laughing i mean it's hilarious right only it's not only we don't think about all the aesthetic things that we come in contact with that reinforce this competition this dog eat dog this I mean, think about what happened with Michael Vick way back in the day. Michael Vick and a bunch of people down there in Newport Beach were sitting there fighting dogs. They had tons and tons of dogs that they were taking out these pit bulls that they turned into like real rabid, uh, mean animals. That They're not mean animals, but they were turned into mean animals because Americans need to feel like they are always in competition, always fighting with one another. Always trying to get a leg up on somebody, you know, and it always has to come at the expense of someone else. Like, we can't learn things for the betterment of society, we always learn things to beat someone else out. I'm watching this happen and I'm saying to myself, How in the world are you going to create a more equal society? Is the idea just once again to grant more access to opportunity? It doesn't change the fact that we're running like slaves from a fucking act, chasing something, always chasing something, never living, always chasing, always in competition, always grinding it out. And the way society is, it's no wonder that so many people commit suicide because they're never good enough. They never achieve enough. They never have enough colloquial whatever. They never have enough class. They never have enough access. They never have enough whatever. There's always some poor chap, some poor person that realizes that for whatever reason, they flunked the lottery of the gene pool. And therefore, because of their genetic disposition in the pecking order, they will always subsist. They are born into a society meant now to subsist because every other fucking latte-drinking mother and father are out there giving their kid a leg up. Because they're serious about this competition. And they're proud of their kid. And they're proud that their kid's going to be an MBA. And they're proud that their kid is going to start climbing the ladder. That ladder is made of other people. It's not made of a real ladder. It's made of stepping on people to get up and up and up. And the people that have in this country, they really, really don't want to hear anything about anybody else other than this is what we're oh, I can't focus on those other people. I can only handle what's right in front of me and they focus on competition. They focus on kicking someone's ass, or they focus on being tone deaf to the suffering below them. It's almost like there's a floor, like a, a, a like a line, like a like a, a, a an opaque barrier between seeing what's happening beneath them and and what's happening out here. And everybody just believes they're exceptional. I mean, imagine being fat, being ugly, being um, not a good dancer, not having the quick wit, um, whatever. But somehow or another, you should eat more poorly because you don't have a good sense of humor. You should have less home, less housing, you should have less rest and relaxation because you were born on the gene pool that stuck. So therefore, you should have to work constantly. You should always have to suffer. You should always have to strive because you're not beautiful. You can't go on TikTok and shake your ass and twerk and make a million people watch you. You can't put on a skimpy outfit and have people throw money at you. You can't do any of that because you weren't born with a gene pool that gave you a nice ass. Or gave you a nice smile. Or made you a funny person. And there's that group of exceptionalists going, oh, well. Player, you know, hate the game. Don't hate the player. Hate the game, man. I'm just all about the Benjamins, man. And you got the rap videos. Everybody's like breaking off Benjamins. And you got the libertarians talking crypto, crypto, crypto. Be all you can be. Be the best you can be. Here's some crypto. And every fucking lefty that's joined in on that is a fucking piece of shit for being part of the American exceptionalism crap that keeps coming up. I have gotten so disgusted with this American exceptionalism, so disgusted with so-called lefties that want to change the world, but they're immediately ready to become part of the world. They're immediately ready to capitalize on the world. They don't want it to change because they changed all the station in life that they've striven so hard for. Striven, is that a word? Drove, whatever. All that that they have worked so hard to achieve, they're only going to hold on to it with a death grip because they don't really want change. In theory, they want it to change. But in reality, they're willing to just vote blue no matter who. They're willing to do whatever it takes to be part of the latte crowd. And they go ahead and they use soft speech, and use gentle language because they realize but that's how you keep in the upper stratosphere. okay? But the fact is, is that pain and suffering is the real story of the American exception. We're exceptional in the fact that we have to be quiet about the pain and suffering. We have to be quiet about the inequities of our lives because otherwise to admit that we aren't perfect, to admit that we don't have our shit together, to admit that we're angry, to admit we're hungry, to admit our teeth are rotting out of our mouth, to admit that we're drowning in debt and ready to kill ourselves, to admit all that, would leave us vulnerable and therefore unworthy, and then economically unviable. And then it's self fulfilling prophecy comes out, and then you do bust the cap in your head. See, this whole American exceptionalism is a veneer. It's a veneer we paint on ourselves and we tough the guy it out. We've got the strong chin, the strong square chin, and we jig hile it all the way. We buy right into it. I'm telling you right now, I look on Facebook and I see all these proud parents of kids graduating with MBAs, and I think to myself, oh, is your kid ready to start a co-op? Is your kid ready to suddenly teach people that are less fortunate how to become better and and not take all the extras? No, what we have is a country where people are talking out of two sides of their mouth. On one side, oh, absolutely, I wanna see change. A green new deal definitely want to see health care. We should eliminate student debt. But you know what? I'm not going to do a goddamn thing to make any of that happen because the minute that I feel slightly uncomfortable, the minute that my vacation plans get derailed, the minute that someone asks me for money or the minute that someone tells me I need you to volunteer, or the minute something big comes up, they just it's too much to ask. They got things to do. They're a pretty important person because Americans are exceptional. Americans are incredibly exceptional. And you look at the Ukraine and you look at the Ukraine battle with uh, Russia and you see people picking and choosing sides like they have a fucking clue. okay? like they have a fucking clue. And it's all about American exception. Like we're we're the benevolent ones. We're the charity. Right. We're charity. We're, We're like, let's give the poor kids of Africa, you know, 50 bucks a month. It'll save the world. Right. Never mind the fact that the United States government could, if, if, if we want to get into it, and we're talking about really being exceptional, the United States government could literally fund any food they needed instantly. You don't need uh, Elon Musk to fund fucking end world poverty. United States government could do it yesterday, if the real resources were there, but they won't, because Americans really aren't exceptional. Americans are selfish, greedy bastards, elitists. Tone policers, the worst kind of shithead is the tone policer. The evil incarnate is the tone policer because they're the ones that make it unhealthy for people that are struggling to speak out. These parasites that are the tone police that, oh, I wouldn't say that. That's rude. Oh, I wouldn't say that. That's not very kind, right? Those people right there stifle what's really happening in the world. We don't even really know because we can't talk about it. Because if we talk about it, we're fringed out. And some communities, we're excommunicated because they value politeness more than they do uh, effectiveness. They aren't really interested necessarily in saving lives. Unless, of course, they can do it with a gentleman's handshake and their pinky out while they're drinking their Tetley tea. Then maybe they're interested, okay? But the minute it starts getting crass, the minute they start hearing somebody talking about the pain from a deep, deep cavity that they don't have the money to get a root now for, all of a sudden they want to change the subject. They're ready to move on. They don't want to fucking hear that because Americans aren't exceptional in any way, shape, or form except in their extreme narcissism and their extreme ideas that they somehow or another deserve better than others. When in reality, everybody could have greatness right now, but the people that are comfortable will never change. They will never, ever forego a vacation, a trip around the world. They will never forego something important. Not that it matters because at the end of the day, we don't need to rely on their money, okay? The government really could do this for them, for all of us. And the people that actually know this and still aren't willing to sacrifice something, I just get this weird sick feeling in my stomach about them. Because you know that old Peter Parker, Spider-Man thing where where the uncle goes, "Uh, you know, the thing with great power comes great responsibility. Well, knowledge is power. And if you have great knowledge, you have responsibility. And if you sit idly on the backside, tone policing people who are suffering, you're a fucking horrible person. You're a horrible person. Okay. We are stuck with people that are literally suicidal. You've got to have commercials on TV all the time about, hey, guys, if your friend's not talking to you too much, know the signs. Go, go Maybe go say hello to them after all, because they might be ready to kill themselves. They might be tempted to blow their fucking brains out. But yet, the tone police out there. We mustn't talk about such things because it makes me uncomfortable, John. Didn't you see? Oh, my God. The new Calvin Klein bag is, like, so cool. The Michael Kors? Oh, my God. Like, I mean, so cool. Like, I mean, I I don't know. I got, like, this faux fox because, you know, I can't possibly do her. But it's more expensive than fox. But, like, Tyler it's so awesome, right? Oh, did you see the dress that Chloe was wearing? Oh, did you see what Michelle Obama was wearing? Oh my God, did you see what Clinton was wearing? Oh my God, it's this shit. Oh, AOC had a gorgeous dress. Oh my God, her hair was done just so. Fuck off. For real. I mean, seriously. We've gotten to the point now where we're literally living in a real housewives of Bel Air kind of moment. People are living in fucking squalor. But their television tells them everything's okay. Nah, don't ignore that. Everybody really is okay. Look at all the people that are buying up crypto, man. They're all millionaires now. Look at them all. We don't need to do all that. Let's go ahead and cut the deficit. Let's go ahead and reduce the deficit. Oh, let's worry about debt. Let's start jacking interest rates up. Let's make it a little bit tougher on everyone because after all, we're doing great. Everyone's doing great, aren't they? doing too good. we got to slow the economy down. And the people that aren't doing great are going, oh my God, here it comes. The fucking tsunami of death is coming my way and they don't care because we can't talk about it. I'm serious. I would literally, I mean, this is no joke. I would literally curb stomp somebody for fucking being a town policer at this point. We've got eight years with the IPCC report about the environment. You don't hear anybody talking about it. Why not? If you raise up the issue of student debt, some worthless pile of shit will tell you, well, I paid my student debt. Why should we let them? Right? I saw a great meme early. Actually, it was a Twitter uh, post from Will Bayman where he basically compared talking about forgiving student debt to taking a person off a of death row. We don't ask for us to be taken off death row. After all, we weren't on death row. Why should they be taken off death row? It's the same thing with student debt. It doesn't cost you a penny to get rid of their student debt because the federal government does it and you don't fucking pay tax for people to spend. Taxes are deleted. Don't be an asshole. Don't be a loser. Don't be worthless. Fucking get with the program, right? So this idea of American exceptionalism is creeping in every aspect of our lives. And I want you to think that's. And people tell me, "Well, Steve, it'll change when the old generation dies off and the new generation comes on." Well, I'm looking at the new generation, and the new generation looks an awful lot like an Rand Acolyte. a lot of libertarians, a lot of people that are getting theirs, fake lefties that are all wrapped up in crypto. Yes, I said fake lefties, because libertarianism is not a left thing; it's a fucking selfish piece of shit thing. Okay. And America is full of selfish pieces of shit that are libertarian. This whole, I got mine, fuck you mindset. And if they give you a few pennies, oh, here, I'll donate to you, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. Somehow or another, you should be really grateful that they did that. And yeah, you should be grateful that people help you out when they can. That's not, the point is, is that because of fecklessness in our government, because of fecklessness in our nation, because of how stupid we are as a country, because we have been dumbed down because they want us dumb, okay? We don't do any of the things we could do. I mean, I can see it's like Patrick Starfish kind of governance, minus the goodwill of Patrick Starfish. It's kind of like Squidward turned into Patrick Starfish. And even Squidward's not good, because Squidward, he might be an asshole, but he's kind of like crotchety uncle that you'd like and love, whatever. It's like Mr. Krabs, maybe, with a plankton attitude, you know? I mean, we really, truly have to see our own children die right in front of us before it becomes real, before any of this becomes real. It's someone else's problem. It's always someone else's That doesn't sound exceptional to me. Does it sound like exceptional to you? Literally fighting to underfund schools is a GOP stronghold. But quite frankly, show me a Democrat that's fighting tooth and nail for public spending and public purpose things. I don't see it. I don't see it from Republicans and I don't see it from Democrats. All I see is a bunch of losers pointing at each other. And ultimately, it stays stuck on purpose. There's nothing exceptional, nothing exceptional about this nation. And every time I think that maybe, maybe I get more education or maybe I'll do something, all I realize is that I am furthering this belief. And every time I do well or someone else does well, we celebrate doing well. What does that even mean? You've climbed a capitalist ladder. You've perpetuated the system you've claimed to want to destroy. You've done all these great, wonderful things in the name of capital. I mean, for real, think about what I'm saying. I just don't really understand why we as people, especially we as lefties, continue to pretend instead of really take that moment. And understand that things are not well. Things are not good. It's not that they can't be better. It's that by pretending they're okay, we won't take action to make them better. It will take a positive proactive step to make it better. But if we believe we're exceptional now, and we're afraid to speak out and show that it's not good for us, then nothing will change. You can't blame Biden for that. Biden's a piece of shit. He gave you 50 years of his life to show you what a pile of shit he is. And yet he's still president. And we're entering into a cold war on Biden's watch. A cold war, in my opinion, that goes back way back to Bill Clinton era, maybe even further back to Reagan era, maybe even further back to the founding of the fucking colonization of this nation. But ultimately, for sure, in the most recent time, we have watched as Democrats in general have behaved exactly like Ronald Reagan. And they're using this conflict with China and Russia. They've ginned this up so that they can create more war machines because America must be exceptional even if it's not exceptional. Our infrastructure sucks. If you go to China and you see the way that their infrastructure is, you are got to think you're going to some futuristic society the way that people used to feel when they came to the United States back in the day when we understood how to make this country truly something spectacular. Mind you, it was never spectacular. We were always destroying indigenous people. We were destroying black and brown people. We were destroying the poor. We were enslaving people. We were treating Japanese like shit. We were treating Chinese like shit. We've been treating everyone like shit. It's been a American so it's The one thing we're truly exceptional at is treating people like dog shit. Killing them, right? I think at the end of the day that as long as we put on a happy face, and we keep the smiley pants up and we keep waving the flags and we keep doing the do and we keep playing this American exceptional game out. I think as long as we keep doing that, nothing will change. And it, well, it will change because it's on a trajectory with climate change alone to make everything really, 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 really fucking bad. I mean, really bad. So what will it take for America to change? How do we ever explain what exceptional means? How can we ever become exceptional? Exceptionally good to one another? Create a public purpose that meets everyone's needs? Doesn't hate immigrants because we've taken care of the uh, people in the country and we don't treat immigrants as different from us because of some arbitrary geological boundary? I think that it's important to realize that Until we behave exceptionally, there's nothing exceptional about us other than our selfishness. I mean, you know, I think to myself, we keep deifying the rich, deifying, making them gods. Even if we hate them, we make them demigods. We make them, you know, war gods, whatever. We make gods. We create these gods and we need them because we can't think for ourselves. And if we don't have a leader to tell us that it's okay, or a leader to guide us, because after all, we're just slovenly pigs waiting for a leader to tell us the way, right? We're not willing to organize amongst each other because we need a leader to tell us what to do. But yet we want to have equality, but we need a leader. It doesn't make sense, does it? We're always looking for a leader. Who's the hero? Who's the God? Who's the great man that's going to take us to the promised land? And every time I hear this shit, I think to myself, holy fuck. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to probably, well, I don't know. We'll see. Let's let's play it out. We'll see where this goes, right? You know, Christians, especially of the, the Christo-fascist type, look absolutely nothing like the Bible that they claim is the inherent word of God. Now, if it's the inherent word of God, which, I mean, you can fight about it, doesn't matter. You can't prove it, they can't prove it, nobody can prove it, whatever, it's a belief, right? That's the thing about beliefs, you can't prove them. But let's just assume for a minute that the Christo fascists are standing on their Bible. If you've ever read the Red Letters of Christ, they're words that sound very much like the communists. <laughs> they sound very, very much like a lefty. They really do. It's amazing. Like like if I took away the word Jesus and I took away all the apostles and all the other stuff, you would think, hey, man, it sounds like a pretty cool commune, man. Maybe I'd want to go hang out. Okay? Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. And then you hear the Christophasis, the Republican Jesus, come out of the woodwork. And actually, in many ways, the, just the business class Jesus because the Democrats worship him too. You're like, I'm looking at this book and I'm looking and you. I'm looking I'm like, Huh? What? 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 Now, I understand why people hate Christianity that aren't Christians. I truly do. Because you're seeing these Christofascists, the Sig heil variety, right? That worship the gun, that worship death and destruction, that worship controlling others. But all I can remember from the Bible is watching, in my mind anyway, some dude named J.C. drawing in the sand as people are trying to stone a whore. And he's like, he without sin cast the first stone. Bounce, be gone, folks. There's nothing to do here. Be gone, man. Everybody chill out, man. Everybody. We're all falling short, man. Ain't nobody here perfect. That that sounds a lot like a lefty to me. It doesn't sound like a righty. The righty we see these Christo Fascists does not anything like it. You know, I, I, I'm in recovery. You know, so I, I I don't I don't drink anymore. It's been a long time since I've had a drink. By the grace of higher power, you know, I haven't had a drink since September 15th, 20, 2006, and uh, my pop died on. September fifteenth, twenty sixteen. Ten years to the day of my sobriety date. He died on my sobriety date. Ten years, and he was the guy that took my keys from me back in two thousand six. Kept me from killing some people. I would have been a fucking projectile missile. You know, I was one of those assholes. You get drunk, you black out, you do horrible things. You fight. You fight. You fuck. You wreck. You get arrested. All those bad things. I mean. I, like I got an allergy to alcohol. I break out in handcuffs and jail cells, right? But the stuff that I learned in AA, there'd be a Republican over here, there'd be a Democrat over there, a socialist, a fucking homeless person, a rich guy, and everybody's there for one purpose and one purpose only. and That's to get sober. Nobody got any position. Nobody's got nothing. Everybody's there for one purpose and that's to get sober. Now, you don't have to like it. I'm not here to tell you. I'm not here selling you religion. I'm not here selling you a program. What I am doing is saying that I have seen people unite together for the right cause to stay sober. And I think to me, when I think about the left, and I think about us as people, and I think about the fact that we can't unite the fucking Green Deal, now, if some asshole's going to come out of the world, we're going, oh, no, we need to off-act. We got to do Tulsi Gabbard's act. Fuck the Green New Deal. I don't even know what the fuck the Green New Deal is, but damn it, it came from that shit at AOC from fraud squad. We can't talk about a Green New Deal. And all the while, I'm sitting there looking at my clock, and I'm going, hmm, I'm pretty sure that the IPCC report said eight years. Well, 12 years back when they put it out the first time, four years later, I'd go with eight years. The only difference is we haven't gotten better. We've gotten worse. So is it really eight years? I don't know, but I sure wouldn't want to be betting with that. But I have say this all the time, and I think to myself, as exceptional people, as people doing exceptional things, wanting to parry the flag and strong chin, Laney Riefenstahl kind of style. You know what I'm talking about? The propaganda of the Nazis? Mm, you know, strong chin. And dun, 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 dun. I think to myself, what if we were like that for climate change? What if we were like that for good things? Not fucking murdering Jews, not for destroying the world, not for imperialism, but you know, just, I don't know, clean the fucking environment up. Pushing our government to invest, not cut spending, but invest as much money as it takes. Fucking never stop that. Never stop those keystrokes on that board because, you know, we ain't got to dig up dollars. Dollars are made from keyboards, right? They're made by a creature of law. So we don't have any issue with running out of them unless we've got neo Maxis and dweebies in office. Or worse, a populace that doesn't believe we can do great things. And that's where we're at. We've got fucking shitheads in office and we've got a bunch of people that claim they're in a movement that won't lay down their lives for anything. They're not willing to make that sacrifice I'm not talking about death or anything I'm talking about just in general inconvenience oh shit my shoes are on too tight I can't show up to a meeting oh shit I think Seinfeld reruns on I can't make it to a meeting you know at the end of the oh you mean to tell me I, I might have to skip a practice session for this thing over there to to learn some tool that will help me expand my reach to get the word out to millions of people. Yeah, you might have to skip that thing you want to do, coffee house or whatever. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, shut up, right? We're not willing to sacrifice anything. We're not willing to. So, you know, I go back to my AA example and I think to myself, a bunch of derelicts. We all call ourselves a group of drunks. We don't think twice about it. Thinking, thinking. We got a million slogans. But everybody humbles their shit when they walk in those doors. And there's a culture that we're there for one purpose, and that's to stay sober. How can we make the left get together for one purpose, and that's to save the world from extinction, from another mass die off, from climate crisis? How can we become truly exceptional if all we do is figure out where the next concert's going to be or figure out where we're going to go on vacation next or, you know, can we buy something, some shit knickknack, you know? I just, I don't know if I, I am I making sense? I, seriously, I, I'm, 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 in my head I'm making sense. But, you know, what goes from here to here, I can't always, can't always guarantee I'm making sense. I think I am, though. But let me know in the comments if you think I'm fucked in the head. And I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. If I'm fucked in the head, call me out. But what I'm seeing is that we don't even question war. We don't even question it. We just, yeah. Yeah. But you talk about ending student debt forever, forever, bun. And people fucking act like you just went and became Joseph Stalin. Suddenly you're Stalin or Mao because you want to give people free college. What the fuck? And God help you if you say free college. Because how else will the rich differentiate themselves? How else will they keep that barrier between us and them? Because see, all college really turns out to be is a very expensive payout to get into the elite. But the thing is, the elite didn't have to take out student debt. Mommy and daddy paid for them. So canceling student debt is really the most beneficial for the 99% you could ever imagine. Because, see, it's not the people that need to take out student debt that are the problem. It's not even the, the, the regular rich, the normal rich, the rich the kind of rich, the little bit better than us rich. I'm not even talking about that. They're bad because they're tone deaf. They go out there and they live their lifestyle and they go do the Disney World and they go do all these things while people are starving. They don't even bat an eye because they deserve it, right? Um, But I think to myself, isn't there a page we could take out of AA or something like that to come up with a singleness of purpose? Couldn't we organize around the singleness of purpose? You know, a Green New Deal to me. Forget what anybody else says it would be. Why don't we, the people, fuck the electoral system? It never serves our needs because it's not designed to serve our needs. It's designed to placate us and the data, right? But if you think about what I was saying, college is this like severe barrier being part of the rich. You go and you get into great debt and you're never up there with them. You're always lagging because you're paying that $800 a month big bill so you can compete with them. And then you find out that the state school you went to doesn't have the right panache. You needed to be a part of the Ivy League school to be able to get into the secret society, right, that upper crust. And then they're looking at you Hmm, what's your family lineage, Thompson? Hmm. Right? They want to know more because you have to be old money to be in there, right? They don't want any new money people in there. They want old money. So what do they do? Well, they realize that the pool was getting smaller and eventually people were going to come fucking attack them all of a sudden sports communities are making billions of dollars, millions of dollars. These these high paid slaves that are putting their fucking knees on the line, their brains on the line, they're getting CRT, they're freaking uh, literally was it was it concussion thing. Um I can't even remember what it's called. Um oh if you guys know it put it in the comments but the, their brain fucking just rots away from concussion. But yeah, give me a million dollars. I'm willing to die for it. Fuck it, right? I I sit there and I think to myself, we don't have enough of the good people willing to, um, I don't, you know, uh, loner, weirdo. (laughs) um, There's a... uh, just so you know, that you are looking at the chat and the replay. Loner Weirdo is an actual username. So it's not me just calling. Here, in fact, let me put it up here. If you don't think that I'm making it up. <laughs> so ultimately, if you think about, you know, what we're up against. I mean, we are literally dealing with a society that is willing to do just about anything for a boss. Willing to, um, you know, they're willing to celebrate their spouse's stock options. They're willing to celebrate their uh, their spouse's, uh, you know, having different, you know, portfolios. You know, I see people out there, friends, and I'm like talking about lithium mining and stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ. We lost another one. You know, we're we're you know, I I mean I I have an MBA and I have a master of science. And I think to myself, both of those degrees were meant to keep me embodied in the capitalist framework and make me a champion of capitalism so that when push came to shove, they could count on me to be part of the team, so to speak. That's how they keep the hooks in because now I've got something to lose because all that college that I went to, if we don't have this great capitalist society then I won't be able to capitalize on it, right? The fact is that I've never been able to capitalize on it, really. Maybe it's because I put all my time into activism instead of trying to climb the corporate ladder. Um, but, it's still the point that we're manufacturing people who are indoctrinated through the school system, through the colleges, who are not being taught how to think. They're taught how to be a good capitalist. And, you know, we're looking at this hyper-capitalism that is going on now across the globe, neoliberalism in this, like, frenetic state and we see people are trying to fit into that. They're trying to um, they're trying to make it okay. They're trying to normalize. And it's not normal and it's not healthy. I'll give you an, give you an example of how bad this is. I used to work in Philadelphia at the Comcast Center, which is a uh, very, very tall building, the tallest building in uh, Philadelphia, um, right off of JFK Boulevard. It's exactly one mile from Penn Station, from Penn Station's front door to the Comcast Center front door, exactly one mile. And every day I would take the train from Harrisburg, two hours, to Philadelphia walk from Penn Station to work, and during that walk, there was one particular day, I'll never forget it, it hurt, hurts to even say it out loud, but there was this lump laying on the sidewalk It looked like an overcoat on it, and it was freezing outside. And uh, I was watching people walking around the lump, walking over the lump, just walking. And I, I, I'm getting closer and closer, and I'm like, please, dear God, don't let that be a body. Please don't let it be a body. And I'm I'm starting to feel like really, really shaky and intense. And I'm like, it, I... I see the lumps it's going to be a motherfucking body and people just kept walking around and I got up to it and sure shit it was a dead dead homeless man and I, I don't know what to say I just was like ready to throw up I was just devastated and I went and got the police and said there's a dead man laying on the ground over there and they finally took care of it and I went to work, shaken, sick in my stomach. Not so much of seeing a dead person, although that was horrible, but more so that people could just walked right over them, walked right around them like they weren't even there. They were busy getting to work. They were busy trying to run to a meeting. And, uh Yeah, I've seen a lot of death in my life. I mean, I remember in particular, there was a father who um, was in a lot of the NA meetings I used to go to. Everybody's going to remain anonymous because that's the the nature of the program. I shouldn't even be talking about most of this, but I think it's important for people to understand how serious this is. So I'm I'm taking some poetic license and saying these things. Um, But this guy came into a meeting and. really nice guy and I tried to see if he'd be willing to be a sponsor to me years and years and years ago. And I he said, let's we'll we'll give it a try. We'll test it out. We'll see how it works. See if we see if we're a good match. And so I don't remember what happened, but I guess he went on vacation for a week or something like that. And come back and one of the guys that was friends with me at the time he um he had been he had gone back out and he was shooting up heroin. And they were in a hotel room and uh the guy who I wanted to be my sponsor, his son was on the bed blue and dead with a needle in his arm. And uh I'll never forget the look on that father's face when he realized that he was out of town when his son died and he kept thinking to himself if I hadn't gone on vacation if I hadn't done this my son might still be alive and, uh, I just can't that's a tough one, you know but all of these things come as a result of people being in deep pain. And we're not allowed to talk about it because we're exceptional. And if we talk about it in circles that are not so... um, that are not downtrodden, that are doing okay. They don't want to hear about it. They literally don't want to hear about it. But shoving their nose in that shit is the only way for them to wake up and realize how serious this is. We have a huge, huge opioid epidemic in this country. People are dying constantly. People don't just sit there and get stuck on opioids because it's just kind of a fun thing to do. Most people get on it because they were in pain, they were prescribed some meds, and then it takes off. Grabs hold of them. We, We can solve almost all these problems without any problem at all. The government literally could do it, but it won't. It won't do it. We literally have the power to change all of this. But we won't do it. We could get the word out to people, but we're too busy doing useless, petty, bullshit things, numbing the pain, ignoring it, trying to watch bullshit take our mind off of it. You know, it's like, think about how few people are willing to fight through the challenges and the difficulty and stay together and work and stay focused. I see more people giving themselves a free pass out of staying in this fight because Democrats failed them. Fuck a Democrat. We got each other. See, this is where the AA mindset needs to come into this movement. I'm not saying that we have to be some religion or something like that. I'm saying that we need to need to have some beacon, and it can't be a person because people will fail us every time, including me, including you. All of us will fail one another. We got to have a higher code. We have to have something, you know. We have to have something to be true north, something to keep us straight and narrow, right? Otherwise, we're just like a ping pong ball bouncing all over the place with every current event. And so the needed focus to get these very important things accomplished never get accomplished. We're busy patting ourselves on the back because we're exceptional. We're busy blowing up the world. We're busy using the IMF and NATO and everything else to... Bring austerity to the world to open markets. We're busy watching the Kardashians, whatever. Busy chasing crypto, busy researching companies so we can figure out which one to invest in. But we don't put that level of energy into organizing any of this. There's no way forward without it. I'm telling you, I I have racked my brain trying to find a way forward without a group of people willing to lay down their arms and unite together outside of the political parties. Because the parties are where the fucking ideas go to die, where the unity goes to die, where the oligarchs tell you how it's going to be and then the gatekeeper assholes suck their boots, tell you how it's going to be. And then the next layer of bootlicker tells you how it's going to be and so on and so on and so on. So you get to the point where you've got no thoughts of your own, no ideas of your own. You're not willing to work together because after all, you're not going to work with them. Because they're not going to work with you and so on and so forth. It's got to be outside the party structure. And it's got to be for a higher calling. It's got to be for whatever a real green new deal might look like. Whatever real health care might look like, not just some health insurance overlay, real stuff, the real issues, they've got to be there. And we've got to accept that the politicians aren't our friends. You know, I hear people talk about revolution. And a lot of people, fist in the air, won't do a goddamn thing to bring about a cerebral revolution. because. Folks, if we're looking at a, a violent revolution, which would be moronic, we are not equipped for that. I mean, I oftentimes think of the United States military, and I think about those Apache helicopters and those Hellfire missiles. And I think to myself... What chance do you have against that kind of firepower? And they would turn it around on you because you'd be a domestic terrorist if you rose up. It's got to be an intellectual revolution. It's got to be each one teach one. It's got to be uniting outside of it and then forcing change. We're all desperate to be big fish in small ponds, so we do our own thing instead of uniting together. And I always see people finding excuses for how they can check out of the system. The system that I'm talking about isn't the employment system where we go work for the man because we have to feed our families because there's no other choice. I'm talking about the system that allows this to be the normative viewpoint, the normative way that we respond to one another, the normative way we view our world we're not willing to check out of that and we're not willing to um, we're not willing to talk to one another in a way that brings people in and sh- See, for me i'm a weird case study right i've had two lives kind of i had my life before everything fell apart divorces addiction, all kinds of stuff. And then the life after where there's no career, it's constantly chasing contract jobs, constantly living in precarity, constantly wondering, you know, when the worst thing I could imagine, whatever that might be at the time, is going to happen. And so as I've said countless times throughout this broadcast, I believe The existential climate crisis and all the necessary programs built into that make for a decent ideology. Uh, Obviously, we're looking to overcome capital. But we have to survive climate crisis to get there. And if you don't believe in climate crisis, there's not much to talk about, right? I mean, if you don't believe it, then you don't believe it and we're fucked. I mean, that's just the deal. But for everybody else that actually listens to the science and is paying attention to ice ice shelves melting and thinking about what it would take to eliminate dirty jobs, we'd have to have a just transition so people would remain whole, so that they could You know, not fight back when we eliminate the coal industry. You might have the rich guy at top fighting back, but you know what? When you get the workers to understand it's in their best interest to work in green jobs and be able to subsidize that transition, there's a chance. I'm not saying it'll work because remember this. and and Obviously, the world's not going to come to an end in eight years. The difference will be that some of the more horrible aspects of climate change, if we don't mitigate that carbon, are going to happen. And some of those things that are going to happen as a result of American exceptionalism and our unwillingness to be good global citizens are like tsunamis and drought, extreme weather patterns, uh, famine, wars, resource wars, all kinds of stuff that i don't think any of us can truly predict i mean some of the models can tell us what could happen but we know that sea level rise there's certain models that show us what will happen as ice melts, and you know there's some places they're going to end up being greener than they are today and there's some places that are going to be completely dry We have no meaningful way of doing green energy right now. We have no meaningful way of um, employing people in a sustainable way. We so much of what we um, what we say we want we could do, but we have to convince somebody has the power of the purse to do it. And I don't believe voting is an effective way of making that happen. Don't get me wrong, vote. Do 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 whatever. I mean, my God, we're not in a position now to throw anything out the window, right? You got to do the best you can. Vote, do everything, right? It's not like do one thing and be done with it and go back to brunch. It's vote, there's your, as Eric Kestner says, there's your Annie up in the poker game. It's the first thing you got to do, the bare minimum, is vote. But after that, I mean, the object here to me is, what are you voting for? What are you getting from that vote? What are they going to do with it? And as long as you just check out and go back to brunch, you're not going to get shit out of it. You've got to have that outside the party's organization there with the priorities of a Green New Deal, and don't let go of it. Don't don't worry about it if it's in the news. Don't worry about it if there's other hot button issues like. A mass shooting, guess what? With all due respect to everybody including, every time a mass shooting happens, it breaks my heart. But every time a mass shooting happens, instead of just focusing on the mass shooting, I'm realizing why mass shootings happen. And if you think it's just because there's a bunch of guns in the country, you're fucking wrong. The reason why mass shootings happen is people are fucking desperate. People are fucking neoliberalism and of being left behind people are sick to death of feeling like there's no hope everything that matters to them falling away of losing everything they're sick to death of being hurt and sad and scared and human beings finally get a breaking point you know, I don't care what kind of cuckoo shit comes out of their mouths. They're a symptom of the effects of neoliberalism. And folks, I'm going to take a minute away from American exceptionalism and describe in detail what neoliberalism is. Because I think a lot of people just think it's some pejorative against Democrats, and it's not. Neoliberalism is an extreme proclivity for privatization, to do away with anything in the public purpose, to make governments feckless and incapable of serving the people's needs. It is absolutely hyper capitalism on steroids. If you have a public service with Social Security, people are going to try to privatize that so that Wall Street gets. The money out of it because under Social Security, Wall Street doesn't benefit. Only the person giving the money does. If you have a national health service, then it's time, based on neoliberalism, to privatize that because a national health service, there are no oligarchs making big bucks. Only the direct patients, so they're the direct doctors and stuff, are getting big bucks. They're getting paid whatever they're getting paid from their service. So, get at that. We've got to turn this into a profit issue. See, we've been dumbed down so much that we don't see this for what it is. I want to give you an example of what this is. The IMF, I always hear from Jordan when I go in there, hey, Steve, people don't know what the IMF is, and they don't know what the World Bank is, and they don't understand a lot of the terms you use, and I think it goes over their heads, and he's probably right. I do use acronym salads sometimes, like we're all just on the same page, and everybody just knows exactly what the fuck I'm talking about, and it's not like I'm some smart guy, it's just I care about this stuff, so this is where I focus that, and this is what comes out. What we did was we set up the IMF, and we set up the World Trade Organization, we set up Peace Corps, we set up NATO, we set up all these different groups kind of as a response to blocking communism from going across the globe back in World War II or after World War II. And the idea was is that we can use the World Bank and the IMF and all these things to help foster capitalism around the world. And by giving people loans to help them develop and grow and become good capitalists and create a new market and so forth. That was the beginning. And at the early stages, there was probably some good that came from it at some level. I don't know exactly how much good, but I'm sure there was something kind of good. But ultimately, over time, the IMF institutes what they call structural adjustment to these countries, these undeveloped countries that are have public services or or whatever. And the IMF's goal is to eliminate the public space, to maximize private space, and to allow companies to come in and do their things, set up shop in the most business hospitable way possible. And so groups like the World Trade Organization and stuff put rules out there as well that basically in the IMF it gives loans. Um, and the IMF is, make no mistake about it, an arm of the United States government. I mean, absolutely part of that. And uh, it's become a way of dismantling all the public works around the world. All the public health care around the world, all the different public services around the world, when the IMF comes, they are there to privatize. And so this is neoliberalism's global tool, structural adjustment, opening markets, which is what most of our wars are about too, by the way. So when you understand how pernicious and evil neoliberalism is, neoliberalism does something to us that slavery once did, right? It's taken away the plantation. It's taken away the slave master in the sense of the whips and stuff. And it's substituted it with debt. It's put debt around our necks that we have to do certain things, or we'll go to jail, or we will lose everything. And so, hmm, I'm hearing somebody say it's distorted or something. Let's take a peek here. Let's see. See if my audio is through. Oh, you know what? I see why. Let's fix that puppy. I see why. Thank you for calling me out. Do I sound a little bit more sexy? How's that? How's that mic? Is that mic better? Do I sound better? Joe, go to sleep, Joe. Go on to sleep, Joe. We we won't mess you, Joe. It's okay. (laughs) Let's see how the sound is there now, because ultimately I'm running through the SM7B, and uh, I was running through this camera mic here. I hate this shit, man. This system is so great in so many ways, but my God, if you don't check... (laughs) If you don't check, I've been sitting there talking to this mic like it's alive, but it's really, <laughs> that's what happens when you go live at midnight, right? <laughs> Actually, 11, whatever. <sighs> All right. So. <laughs> Sorry. But the IMF is, is a really bad deal. The World Trade Organization is a really bad deal. So is the World Bank. Okay, now I'm hearing some things that the World Bank maybe people are different people coming in, different ideas, but it's still the same bullshit. It's still trying to advance things that should not be advanced. And uh I think people need to take time to figure this shit out. Now I'm I'm I was going to do this, but I want to see if i can find this book here real quick and uh explain something to you jason Pickle. there it is the divide now i'm going to share my screen here real quick you're not going to be able to see much and unfortunately it took me straight to amazon so let me be a good guy and get out of amazon real quick. And see if I can find it through. There we go. Good enough. Good enough. Right here. Let me share my screen. You guys see that? Oh, wow. It's really, really big. Let me see if I can make it different here. Did that change anything? Nope. Didn't. Oh, well. In this particular case, um, this right here, the book by Jason Hickel, The Divide, is a fantastic book. Let me see if I can make it bigger here. How's that look? Is that looking better? Yeah, you guys can see it a little bit better. It's not perfect, but it's better, right? Let's see if this make does that make it better? Yeah, you don't need to see my mug. Eh, Maybe there I go. This book right here is absolutely fantastic. And this is through, I'm looking at it on Abe, basically, uh, which is, you know, a reseller of used books and so forth. And if you have not read this book, I recommend that you read this book. Now, it's got some things that didn't measure up chapter 17 um you know is a is is a chapter i'd ask you to skip i think it's chapter 17 they talk a lot about <clears throat> positive money which is a money crankery and jason has since changed over and he is much more amenable to the modern monetary theory lens so that makes him my guy i like jason this book really breaks down how the IMF and uh, you know the World Trade Organization, and so forth, operate to enslave uh, to enslave you know thir- you know third world nations, nations that are undeveloped market wise, that are pretty happy probably on their own. Um, but we're coming down to help with the IMF. And um, IMF stands for the International Monetary Fund. And they've got several key um, currencies: the U.S. dollar, things like that. Uh, you know, the uh, the euro. I think the yen. I mean, the um. I do think the yuan is one of them as well. Um, I don't know all the different currencies that are in the basket, but anyway, bottom line is certain countries have uh, SDR or special drawing rights. They can pull money for without any kind of penalty. But most, most countries don't have those SDRs and they end up put into a severe level of austerity, severe level of austerity. And, uh, they literally lose basically the sovereignty of their nation to markets, to free market capitalism. And that is what our Democrats are advancing. And that is what our Republicans are advancing. And that is what libertarians advance. Uh, this whole free market idea. They want to eliminate the state. They want to make the government so feckless, so incapable of managing capital, that capital literally can do anything it wants. And then you get the chuckleheads that run around and saying, have you ever seen government do anything right? <laughs> It's like, hey, man, you know, if you all remember the movie Gladiator and uh, Russell Crowe is in the gladiator chamber and Caesar comes down there and uh, he basically stabs him. And it's like, OK, tomorrow you're going to have to do a battle with me, but I've just stabbed you and now you're wounded. So I'm going to immediately have a leg up. That right there is what we've done The government. It, government, if you go back, and I strongly, if I can only beg you all, most people that I know have read this, but for those that haven't, read Howard Zinn's book about the people's history of the United States. Read that book you will learn more about the founding fathers and the uh i say founding fathers with quotations and the reasons for the start of this country and what the documents actually stand for that everybody celebrates and worships you know read howard zinn 20 million times you know I know somebody is going to hate me for what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I believe it. Sometimes you got to use the tools of the enemy against the enemy. And for people like myself whose eyes are bad, I strongly recommend getting audiobooks wherever you can find them. You can dust out huge amounts of books, listen to them on 1.25 speed if you need to, or whatever. Whatever you can retain. and. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not above saying it, you know, sometimes you got to use the evil empire to get the things you need. And, you know, I'm not doing it for entertainment purposes, and I would hope you wouldn't either. But if you're going to use Amazon for anything, use them for the literature that you can get a hold of so that you can absorb as much information as possible as quickly as possible so that you can teach others so you can share that knowledge with other people it's it's about taking down empire peacefully it's about doing what we can because the one thing that this neoliberal state can't survive is an informed populace an informed citizenry that doesn't listen to Rachel Maddow and get all and you know rusophobic doesn't start red scaring you know I think it's important that we do whatever it takes by any means necessary. There we go. Let me put that up there. Good call, Desert Manas. Yes, play whatever. Guys, we need to very much find a way to share, um, to share as much as we possibly can knowledge. And, and not be cocky about it. I mean, look, folks, I, I get cocky as hell when it comes to monetary operations because I've taken a tremendous amount of time to learn it. But I don't do it because it's just fun to be cocky. I do it because people's eyes glaze over when you talk economics. But the one thing people's eyes never glaze over for is a fucking fist punch right in the nose. Now It might get glassy-eyed because of the fucking swing. But. People genuinely want to fucking prove you're wrong when they get pissed at you. So I would rather throat punch somebody with economics and make them hate me. Fucking hate my guts. I don't care. If I make you revenge learn, go out there and revenge learn, man. Go learn just to prove me wrong, man. Do it. Please do it. I would much rather be your guy to hate that makes you go out there and learn. Than be some pacifist that glad hands you and smiles and says, Well, maybe someday you'll learn. That's not the world that I come from. I came from a very, very tough world where people are trying very, very hard just to survive. And I've seen highs, I've seen lows, I've lost, I've gained, I've lost again. But I've always found that that throat punch of truth makes people's pride force them to learn they don't want to be dumb they don't want to be the idiot so they go out and they just approve you wrong and then when they find out you're right they come back behind the scenes maybe they don't ever let you know that you were right doesn't matter i want to create an army of people that really want to fucking know this stuff and really take it to take it to bed and make it happen i can't stand being surrounded you know have you ever shaken hands with somebody, and when you do, their hands so soft, you just crumble. It's just like, hello. There's something wrong with that feeling. I can't explain it. You got to shake someone's hands like, hello. You know, that jello butter shake. I want people to realize that. That kind of, like, flim-flam when it comes to taking on capital won't work. It can't be, wait, Here, let me break out an AA saying, half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point, right? These are the kinds of mindset that a revolutionary, that a activist needs to have half measures availed us nothing we stood at the turning point it's important that we take this stuff as seriously as we can and and bring people into the fold and not just cast them aside we we're not strong enough to take on anyone we don't we can't just let people go we need everyone we need all hands on deck. And I know we won't have all hands on deck. But, you know, I, I think it was S- Steve Keen. I think he was talking about, I don't know, I, maybe in Churchill. Who the hell knows? But It was like the Americans will always do the right thing when they have nothing le- else left to try. When they've tried everything else, they'll finally do the right thing. And. You know, it's the pride and ego of being an American that's baked into us from the day we're born, and from the Pledge of Allegiance to everything, saluting the flag, you name it. And we've got eight years. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's it. it. You're you're exactly right. And you, you're exactly right. And you're exactly right. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I'm with you on this. I'm with you on this. And I've tried to call out Richard Wolf for all the times he misleads people. I mean, he's the socialist, so we're supposed to trust him, but he just gets so much wrong. It's unbearable sometimes. Um, America's not. Yes. I mean, goodness. You guys are filling up the comments with. Great stuff, I'm really, really love seeing this. oh man, yes, you know i i I just I guess I want to just say, I love you all a lot, and I'm really, really grateful that you suffer through some of my diatribes. I hope that there's some value in them. I hope that the things I put out there serve' the only reason I'm doing it is to serve. Um, if I'm not serving, then then I don't want to do it. But I think about we really do only have eight years to really really mitigate a lot of these things, and um, and we'll continue after eight years. Eight eight years is just the, the kind of like that line, right? But it's important that we understand. If I can impart a few things before I go, it's important to understand that. We as a nation, the one exceptional thing we could do is use the power of the purse to address climate change, to use our global hegemony to address climate change, to assist developing nations, not put them in debt peonage, to stop relying on private sector profit motives and start using the public space. I think that if you understand what I've said this entire time, I would ask that you would consider, just consider the understanding of modern monetary theory. Just consider it. And consider that our nation is able to do all the military stuff because of the dollar. So why don't we take that same dollar and use it for good, not use it to destroy nations, not use it to destroy families, not use it to fatten capital, but use it to provision in a sustainable way. All that we have dominion of, if you will, God, I hate that word, but dominion of. Everything that we have the ability to impact, we should be providing we should be eliminating patents. We should stop using patents as a way of starving and depriving other countries of life-saving medicine and life-saving technologies. We need to stop protecting capital and start protecting people and the planet. The problem, and, and I, Joe, I really like this but I'm going to talk to you about that for a second. The system is so nebulous. You know, this, Is it the education system? Because that's a system. Is it the food production system? Because that's a system. Is it the energy production system? Because that's a system. Is it the banking system? Because that's a system. Is it our electoral system? Because that's a system. There's so many systems, right? To so just take down the system. There's no one system. And these are all connected by like a super highway, if you will. All these off-ramps have a new system. Each of these systems are connected in different ways. There's no system other than us and everything that goes with it and the processes and tools and techniques we use. But there's tons of systems. And so which system is it? To me, the system that we needed to fix is the system of us. We, I'm telling you, every one of us has been indoctrinated from cradle to grave with a belief that we can't afford to do nice things. That we can't do for the people. That we can't afford it. And so under this false scarcity narrative, we deprive three quarters of nine tenths of the world even more than that probably like 99 one hundredths of the world we deny good quality living the one percent really truly have the world by the short hairs and we sadly many of us believe we deserve it that's the system we need to unplug from is this belief this belief up here that we've been trained in the brain. We need to pull that thing out of the back of our necks and see the world for what it is. Not let the woman in the red dress or the fake steak serve anymore. Let's look at the underbelly as it is and help each other accept that reality so that we give our kids and our future a fighting chance. To me, that's it. Because we don't have the arms. We're not going to win some revolutionary war. We don't have it. And if we did, guess who does have it? It would be people that you wouldn't want to organize with necessarily. It would be people that would just as soon shoot you than give you the things that you're talking about. So we've got to be really careful with what we ask for, you know? We haven't really had a left in the United States ever. And the few people that are on the left end up sounding like raving lunatics to their average person because they jump from where we are today to like, you know, fully automated, you know, luxury communism, space communism, whatever, right? Gay space communism. whatever. (laughs) They don't have any clue. There's another way. They don't even realize that capitalism is a relatively young kind of belief system, a young way of organizing societies. I mean, it was feudalism. You had all kinds of different isms over the years. Slavery. But capitalism is this fake freedom. It's very much a fake freedom. And um, you know, I, I hate that it's such a fake freedom, but it is a fake freedom. And in reality, even even when you understand the way taxes work, you realize that it's meant to keep you so on the invisible plantation. You know, taxation doesn't pay for spending, but what it does is it is the very mechanism that keeps you needing that dollar. And so people get it really badly wrong. They think that we're running out of these dollars so we can't do things but in reality we make dollars left right and center it's not a big deal the keyboard right what is a big deal is the tax is used to make you need to go to work the tax is there to make you need to do that to keep your home keep your car to do whatever you have to work you have to do something to chase that dollar And. uh it's that obligation that keeps the engine running and you know we do need to work but we don't need to work for the man you know even in a socialist communist society people would need to work this idea that automation is going to suddenly do away with care work is ridiculous you know we 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 need each other you know and the problem is, is that what we compensate for employment today is based on working for the man. And as a result of that, we, we, we diminish what it means to be a mother or a father or a caretaker. We diminish these things that, that you know, corporate America doesn't value. But those are, that's work. That's real work. And I feel like we don't compensate things that we need. We compensate things that the man wants. I mean, how many people are pushing paper from one side of the desk to the other and calling that a career? Wouldn't you feel much better serving in your local community and seeing people genuinely helped by your work? I know I would. We can restructure society, you know? Now, I'll tell you this so that no one loses sight of how important this is. I interviewed Michael Albert. I talk about this a lot because I really think people need to understand this. But Michael Albert is one of the leading voices in anarchism. Really nice guy, really smart guy, really dedicated and devoted guy. And um, he said flat out that the climate crisis is such that we can't solve that through anarchy. And he acknowledged that there has to be a transition to anarchy. I mean, I'm not an anarchist. You know, I'm, I'm a socialist. But. You know, When he was talking about this, he made the point that without having a bit of a command structure to solve climate change, we're not going to do the things we need to do. We need that. We don't have time to restructure society and then attack climate change. We have to attack it now. And I thought that was pretty profound for a leading voice in anarchy to say that You know, an anarchist world is what he's striving for. But right now, people mentally have turned to mush. The idea of people functioning in an anarchist society without having the understanding that they can do things, that they're not, that they have power, that they have the ability to do and live, um, that people have been so dumbed down that they wouldn't own their own power. He's not wrong. I mean, you try and build organizations where you give people democratic power and you say, here, go go, create a backlog, go work on this project, and they won't do it. And they don't understand, whatever. I, They won't do it. And that right there is a synopsis of anarchism and, and that whole idea of democratically-led organizations and stuff like that when you have people that have been so used to not doing it they just sort of waiting for someone to lead them because they just can't click a button or whatever it's pretty pathetic but it's where we are it's just what the system this larger big capital s system has done to people they've become unwilling to take a chance unwilling to think for themselves unwilling to click buttons and explore things you know they just oh i don't know i can't do it and michael albert laid it out he was like yeah this is what this system does it breeds people that follow it breeds followers and it's going to take time to dislodge people from being followers and to getting people to be able to take direct action. It's terrifying because we don't see our chains. We don't see the cage around us. But capitalism has done this to us. It's it's turned us into something we were not meant to be. And we have to find a way to make people realize that they are enough in that they have the capacity to learn um i don't know i don't know if any of what i'm saying makes any sense at all great I, I i i feel like this was as cathartic for me to talk about as it was for anybody that may have gained something from this so thank you guys for riding along with me hopefully we've we've got a connection here okay um but i'm i'm really truly terrified for our children terrified for my children selfishly because i just don't see people willing to unite unless they got bernie sanders telling them it's okay i don't see people willing to do something outside the duopoly unless rachel maddow says it's okay or or aoc says it's okay or they're looking for someone to give them permission and we can't We can't do that. We've got to somehow or another find a way to not lean on a system that's predicated on squashing movements and keeping us docile. And we've got to find a way to fight back. And I think it's got to be teaching one another offline and it's got to be quick. We don't have a lot of time, folks. Anyway, um, if you guys get a chance, I'm not saying it's the greatest, but I'm saying it's pretty damn good. Um, I interviewed uh, economist Akdaz Afzal, who is an economist out of Pakistan. And we talk about some very important things, some of which maybe you heard tonight. Um, He talked about... uh, how places like India and Pakistan need to find a way to put down their differences because, with the US doing what it's done with the SWIFT system and Russia and others kind of being out of the mix, the end of globalization has come. And globalization, while it was horrible in many ways, um, also prevented some of the colonization or colonial behavior, some of them, not all of them, some of them. But now, Without being able to use the payment system as the means of control, there's that next that power vacuum that could come. And he's warning third you know third world countries, developing countries uh, to put your differences aside and unite to prevent colonialism from coming through from the United States and others. So please check it out. It's on macro and cheese. I think I've shown this to you all before, but I'm going to show it to you again real quick to end this night. Hopefully, um, hopefully this is, you know. I think this is it. Well, it's part of it anyway. And if I come over here to media, drop down here to Macron Cheese Podcast. There it is, right there. Pakistan's false dawn and the beginning of history. Um you know, I covered Carl, um, I mean, excuse me, um, Zidong Mao, Mao Zedong, and uh, Carl Jav. of the Silk and Steel podcast was kind enough to do that. We just recently covered Iceland, and uh, a lot of us had some really grandiose ideas about what happened in Iceland. Three-part Mao series, by the way, so please check it out. I think it was excellent. Uh, E-Cash Act. I mean, we've gone through a lot of really good uh, stuff, and hopefully. Hopefully you all will uh, will check it out. I think it's worth your time. I certainly believe it's worth the time. Um, so with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and close it off. It's 1246 in the morning. I've got to be at work very, very early tomorrow. But my revolutionary act, my contributions to the movement, however small, um, this is what I had to give. So. Um, I really, really hope that you guys will um, thank you very much. I see a lot of cool comments. I wish I could put everybody's comments. Um, You know, there's so many great comments in here, folks. I really appreciate the quality that you guys are bringing to the comment section. Seriously. I mean, I know that this probably seems superfluous, but to me, these comments are so good. I mean they're so so good because all we have to do is when people go back to look they get to see you guys as comments they're in there forever and i really appreciate it so i'll go ahead and close this out let me do this right now i am sorry i am extraordinarily exhausted so i am going to check out but i really appreciate you all sticking with me and uh have a great night and i am out of here The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash real progressives.